First Timothy chapter five. So I want to share a little bit of an introduction into the message tonight. Some of you might even have come out tonight because I, you, I raised your curiosity by my commercial on Sunday. Yeah. My feeble attempt at marketing. Um, but I, I truly, I, I believe that in my heart, and, and it's for this reason. Many of you, your church experience, your local church experience, whether it was growing up, in a particular church or denomination or whatever, when you think of sort of what the local church is known for, so many have come to look at the local church as more of a social institution than a spiritual one. And I mean that in a couple different ways. First of all, that for many people the church becomes an avenue whereby they fill up their social calendar. And second, that the church becomes more of an entity that is out there meeting the needs and trying to to correct the social ills of our society. That that's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be out there doing good, being good do-de-doers. And not that we're not supposed to do that. But I think we're going to see clearly tonight, even from this passage, that that's not the priority of the local church. The local church's priority and responsibility before God is not to meet the physical, material needs of all these people around us. That is not our primary responsibility. It is very clear in the New Testament that the primary focus of the local church is to be spiritual. It is to be making disciples, according to Jesus in the Great Commission. That's what he told the church. You go and you make disciples. You build followers of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Paul says... In Ephesians 4, a passage we're going to be looking at in a couple weeks in our study of Ephesians on Sunday morning, that God gave these people to the church, and then especially the pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry within the church so that the members of the church, the people of God within that church, can grow and become spiritually full-grown adults. They can mature. That's what Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 14 talk about. That's the primary responsibility of the church. Not to meet all the physical, material needs of all these people. And yet, what do you see most churches involved with? Most churches, you know, their programs and their ministries are all about, let's get out there in the community and let's help all these people. That makes us feel good. Well, again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Nothing. And I would just say 
If you want to do that, if, if you feel God is leading you or calling you to do that, go for it. But don't bring that expectation on the church. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life lived with unreasonable expectations put upon you by other people? We all have, right? There have been times in all of our lives where we lived, maybe for a short time, maybe for an extended period of time, with unreasonable expectations of others upon us. And what does it do to us when we do that? Or when it happens to us? It wears on us. It weighs us down. And so often, the church has unreasonable, unbiblical expectations placed upon it. Either from outside the church or even from within the church. That causes the church to be burdened and weighed down. And we're going to come back to this at the end, but I want to start actually there. If you look at the last verse we're going to look at tonight, chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verse 16. And we'll get to all this in the context, but notice what Paul says to Timothy. If a believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. The church should not be burdened, literally in the Greek, weighed down so that it may help the widows who are truly in need. Paul says, don't get caught up feeling responsible for widows that you are not to be held responsible for. And that's what this passage is really all about. But it's not just about widows. That's the particular specific thing that Paul's teaching Timothy on here and talking about. But the general principle applies throughout any kind of help or benevolence or, uh, you know, all of that 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 the church could get involved with. And that's why I said Sunday, I think that this passage would actually shock most Christians today. First of all, how many Christians have ever really studied 1 Timothy chapter 5? In depth. Probably very few. And yet it's really important. Because it's part of this letter where Paul says, you and I need to teach people how they should behave within the church. What are God's expectations of his people? What is the code of conduct for God's people? What should we be focused on? And that's what the whole letter of 1 Timothy has been about. So with that said, as an introduction, let's look at this for a few moments tonight and see some of the principles that Paul lays out for us. First of all, in the first two verses of chapter 5, he is telling us that we do have the responsibility as a church to treat each other as family members, but as healthy family members. Because we all know that, that you can be family and have relationships with somebody as family and it not be good. Paul is saying, I want the church to be a model of healthy family relationships. Which is why he says in the first couple verses, do not address an older man harshly, but appeal to him as a father if you're a young man talking to him. And speak to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with complete purity. He's saying, first of all, in those verses, let's be family to each other. We are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. 
Then he also says, be respectful of each other. Treat each other with the utmost respect. Whether it's young talking to old, old talking to young, or whatever, he's saying here, treat each other with utmost respect. That should be an environment, if you will, that we all live by here. We're family, but we treat each other respectfully. And then I want you to notice something else before we move on to verse 3. And that is, and this is one of the reasons why we at the Oasis do things in our local church the way we do them. You will notice that here he implies that whether you're old or young, whether you're male or female, whether you're single or married or whatever, that you are supposed to be doing this together. You're not supposed to be always segregated out into groups. Which again is, I think, one of the downfalls of our modern churches today. Is that churches tend to segregate people into different components. You're married, you're over there. You're single, you're over there. You're man, you're over there. You're women, you're over there. Now again, not that men and women can't have their own deals every once in a while. We have that at the Oasis. But not exclusively. Young, you're over there. Old, you're over there. And we keep each other apart from each other. Notice in the Bible, the Bible's about, no, you can, you can learn from each other and you grow from each other. And it's very important that the young and the old and the single and the married and, and the men and the women all are part of this together. That we're always not separated out into our groups. You see. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when we get to the letter of Titus, and this is one of the things our women's ministry is all about, is where Titus even says, it is our responsibility within the church that those that are more mature and more experienced in life and have walked with God longer, we are to teach the younger ones all about this. Well, how, how can you do that if you never allow the older and the younger to be together? You see. It's important. And this is what he is reminding us of here in the first couple of verses. Then he says in verse 3, again, let's remember something. He's talking here about the church. He's not talking about us as individuals. He's talking here about the responsibility of the church. So keep that separated. And second of all, even though this is predominantly dealing with how a local church should handle widows, and can I just say before I go any further, I get this. My own mother has been a widow for 25 years. So I, I have a little bit of an understanding of widows in the church. And here's what he says. But again, how we treat widows is also how we, in principle, are to treat other things, especially as far as helping people in a material or physical way, which is where this is all coming from tonight. He says in verse 3, honor widows who are truly in need. Now, the word honor means to assign value. See them as precious. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't see everyone as precious. We should. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament uses this word to speak of how we should view all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know that? We should all look at each other and we should assign value to one another, that we are precious to one another. 
It's why the New Testament uses the word beloved many times in talking when, when Paul or others are talking to their brothers or sisters in Christ. You are beloved. You are my dear friends. Agape toy is the Greek word. It's the agape plus a little bit of an ending there. So he says, honor widows. But then he says, who are truly in need. The word honor doesn't only mean to view them as precious. It also then can go beyond that to mean to support them or sustain them. In other words, to help them out in some way, physically or materially, because if their husband has passed away and they are all alone, they need help. And so the church is responsible to look out for one another. But again, notice he says, those who are truly in need. The word need here speaks about the idea of deficiency or insufficiency. They just have no way to materially or physically make it, if you will. But then notice what he goes on to say in verse 4. And this is where we need to, this, is, this needs to be emphasized today. Again, because too much burden is placed on the local church rather than on the family. And notice from verse 4 down through verse 8 that primarily Paul says we have to teach people that if you have family, you are responsible for one another. Don't lay that burden on the local church. Which is why he goes on to say, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should... Now, obviously, grandchildren that are old enough, not, you know. They should first learn to fulfill their duty toward their own household and so repay their parents what is owed them, for this is what pleases God. Notice, he says, guess what? The family is first and foremost responsible to physically provide and take care of those within their family that have physical, material needs. Not the church. So let me go back to me. My mother has been a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Cumberland, Maryland for I can't tell you how long. Except the year she was out here with us. But Cornerstone Baptist Church in Cumberland, Maryland has never been responsible for my mother. I'm responsible for my mother. I'm responsible to take care of my mother. I am not to lay that burden on Cornerstone Baptist Church. You see. And that's what Paul is saying here. And by the way, I love this. He says, they should learn to fulfill their duty toward their own household. The word learn is a word that's very closely associated with the word disciple. And so Paul here is teaching that as people become disciples of Christ, they will come to realize through following the Lord that this is what God expects. God doesn't expect the local church to be burdened for this. God does expect, first and foremost, the family is to be the one that takes care of their own, not the church. And then this word duty, it's a very interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's the Greek word eusebia. It literally means that this 
Taking care of one's own family members in a material, physical way is an act of worship to God. Think about that. Paul here is saying, when you and I provide and take care of our own household, we need to look at that as an act of worship to God. That is a way we express worship to God, which is why at the end of verse 4, he says, this is what pleases God. This is what is acceptable to God. This is what God approves. Because also in verse 4, he says, this is a way for children to literally repay their parents. It's an opportunity for us to be able to give back to our parents for the years that they sacrificed and gave up for us while we were growing up. And the words, what is owed them, it it just means it's a fitting exchange. For again, the years when we were growing up as babies and children in their household and they did all that for us, there's going to come a time where that is turned and now they might need our assistance and our help. But that is on us. That burden, that expectation, that responsibility is not to be placed on the church. Now again... Is the church to help people? Absolutely. Absolutely we are. He's never said, don't help anybody. Don't have a benevolence ministry. But what he is saying here is he says, local churches have to have their priorities right. And they have to have standards in place for who they help and when they help. You just, because God doesn't expect us to be all things to all people, which again is why many churches go wrong today. And the reason why they have all these ministries and all these programs is primarily because the more they can offer, the more people they can get into their church, which is what really it's all about. We need to get more people in here to fund all of our programs and all of our ministries and all the things we want to do. So the more we can offer, it's just like a restaurant. The more we can have on our menu the more people we can get to come into our doors. Because for them, that's what it's all about. But that's not the way the local church is to function. Biblically, we are to have a very narrow focus of what we are to be about. And meeting all the social... In fact, it's amazing to me. I've heard Christians say, I've even seen it on social media, statements from Christians, and I'm sorry if maybe even you're one of them that put it out there. Well, if the church was just a church, we wouldn't have all the poverty and all the things. Yeah, we would, because that's not what the church is to be involved with. That is not what God has called us to do. Again, if you want to be involved in helping people out like that on your own, God bless you. Go for it. But don't bring that expectation or that, you know, responsibility on the local church. That is not what the local church is to be about. Then he says this, verse 5. But the widow who is truly in need and completely on her own or alone has set her hope on God and continues in her pleas and prayers night and day. Notice now, he's going to start contrasting even the conduct of widows in the church. Some are very pious and godly and committed and consecrated, but others are not, like verse 6. There may be some widows who live for pleasure, and notice this, this is a very interesting phrase. 
They are dead even while they live. Well, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Now again, Paul's not saying that we as Christians should never experience pleasure or enjoy pleasurable things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there are some in the church that can literally live for pleasure. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this is one of the signs of a decaying society when people love pleasure more than they love God. And Paul is saying there are going to be godly widows in your church and there are going to be not-so-godly widows in your church. And even then, you're going to have to have a standard of who you help. Because he says that those who just simply live for pleasure... They're spiritually dying, even though they're physically alive. They are damaging their soul by pursuing pleasure over putting God first in their life. And notice he says in verse 7 to this young pastor, you reinforce these commands. They're not suggestions from God. They're not, well, do it if you feel like doing it. This, these words in the Greek language speak about these are orders from headquarters that God has given and He expects them to be followed. He is our spiritual commander and chief and this is the way He wants His church to run. Then He says, if you reinforce these commands, you do so with the intent that they will all be above reproach. Even widows. He's not just talking about spiritual leaders. He's talking about everybody in the church, including widows in this context. And then notice verse 8. Very strong. He says, if someone does not provide for his own, speaking about his own family members, in a physical, material way is what the context is, especially his own family, he has denied the faith He has literally turned his back on the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa! Because Paul is recognizing something I think we all would recognize is even people that don't know God have a sense of duty and responsibility towards their family. So he says, if Christians who are supposed to be followers of God have no sense of duty or responsibility to their family members, then what kind of testimony or witness are we being about God and His love and about assuming responsibility in life to those that don't know God? And by the way, I think it's very important that we understand what the word provide means here. It means to plan or foresee ahead of time to consider something in advance. So it's not just providing means, oh, here's a need that's come up. Uh, i got to figure out how to meet it. No. From God's perspective, providing for our own family is something that we should be already considering planning ahead and taking some forethought for. Not wait until something happens and then go, okay, how am I going to take care of that situation? I think all of us as Christians, again, then need to go, hmm, 
Have we considered what that means for us? I can remember when several years ago, Lisa and I had that conversation, because again, as my mom was getting older, as her parents were getting older, we had to have that conversation. We had to go, okay, we need to start setting up some kind of a plan and, and give some forethought into consideration to how are we going to do this and how are we going to do it well so that we honor God? That's what it means to provide. You see. It's not just waiting to the last minute and then trying to figure it out. And then though, notice verse 9. He says, but the church has got to have a standard. Again, the church is not to be expected to just help everybody, even in the church. Even in the church. So here's what Paul tells Timothy. No widow should be put on the list. There was a list. Which meant, it sort of implies, there's some organization here. Again, there's some forethought. Here, here's our standard of who we help and why. Who gets on the list and who doesn't, if you will. Because when you do that, ahead of time, it takes all the personality out of it. You see. When you and I have principles or policies already in place, then we don't have to, you know, sort of, well, you did that for so-and-so and you're not going to do it. No, here, here it is. So that's why Paul says to Timothy, just put it out there. And that way, everybody knows, here's what it is for everybody. Okay? No widow should be put on the list unless she's at least 60 years old, was the wife of one husband, has a reputation for good works, as one who's raised children, practiced hospitality, washed the feet of saints, helped those in distress, as one who has really followed all kinds of good works and pursued them and exhibited these things. Verse 10. Now, let me say this. Paul is not saying, well, what if somebody has never raised children? He's, he's using these in a general way to describe the kind of woman that the church should help. But you'll notice, he's saying, you don't just help everybody. You have to make judgments. That's why, again, I cringe when Christians say, well, you know, we're not supposed to judge. Again, where's that in the Bible? The Bible tells us that as spiritual people, we are supposed to judge all things. Every day you and I make judgments. Our decisions, our choices, our judgments. Even down to this. Do I trust them? Do I not trust them? Do I go with... You know, do I go with that company? Do I go with this company? Who do I take this to? Who do I take that to? I mean, your whole life is judgments. And what God says is the people of God, through the insight that God gives them, should be able to make good, sound judgments. Who do we help? Who don't we help? I hope, in fact, that this study tonight might even free some of you who go through such angst every time you see somebody on a corner of whether you should help them or not. Now again, if you want to help that person, that's, that's up to you. 
But I think you'll see here tonight that there is even standards for those you help within the church. Not even talking about those outside that we don't even really know at all. And then he says this, verse 11. But do not accept younger widows on the list. Literally, the word accept means it's okay to say no. Can we stop there for a moment? Some of you have, a, you have an issue. And your issue is you have a really difficult, hard, and maybe even impossible time saying no to people. Do you know that the Bible gives us permission to say no? God does not expect us to help everybody in every situation. In fact, again, I have taught this before at the Oasis. Just because we are made aware of a need doesn't mean that God holds us responsible to meet that need. He's saying here, it's okay to say no to those younger widows and say, nope, can't help. And you think about that again in our context. Oh, oh, you Christians, you just don't care. You're just an unloving, uncaring group of people. See, we as Christians have got to get a thicker skin and get to the point where we don't kowtow to the pressures of our own society and what they want the church to be and even what other Christians who really don't know the Word of God and aren't following the Word of God expect the church to be. We are to be the church that God designed it to be. And so it's okay to say no to people. When they ask for our help. Not everybody has to be on the list. There has to be standards in place. And then he goes on to say. No widow should be put on the list unless she is at least 60 years old. Was the wife of one husband. Has a good rep and goes down through. Then verse 11. Do not accept younger widows on the list because their passions may lead them away from Christ. And they will desire to marry. Now again, he's not really bashing younger widows. He's simply saying, here's the reality though. Many young women, if they are single and they've been widowed at a young age, their focus is going to be on getting a man. Not on making Christ their first love. And that's true for men too. Because let me just, let me expand this application a little bit. Because I've seen this in church all my life. That's why singles ministries can be. Because in many churches, in many churches, all singles ministries try to, all they invite in on themselves is people who are looking for a mate. I'm just going to use this term because it's true. It can, churches can, can, can tend to be meat markets when it comes to that thing. That, that's just, that's what it is. And I've been there. I've been, I've worked in singles ministries. I know. The only reason those men come is because, and and that's why, can I say this? That's why larger churches, even it's, it's exponential because people are like, well, I could go to a small church like the Oasis, but there's not as many, you know, to choose from. So in a bigger church, there's more to look at and more to choose from that. That's why. That's why. 
And so he's simply saying there, you, you realize the reality that, that many times when, when people are single and they're not married, instead of them keeping Christ as their first love, their, their you know, passion is, I got to find a wife or I got to find a husband. And he's saying, be careful there. That's not what it's supposed to be about. Because, notice he goes on in verse 12 to say, so they incur judgment for breaking their former pledge. What's he talking about there for? About, Jesus, you're my first love. You're my first love. And we know throughout the Bible, that's what it's supposed to be. Jesus is, even if we're married, Jesus is to be our first love. That's why in the book of Revelation, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, you have left your first love, me, and followed other things. And Paul's just simply saying, it's a little bit more likely for people in this case to let their passion and their heart get the better of them that instead of keeping Jesus as their first love, they're going after some human being in a more passionate way than they do the Lord. Then he says this, verse 13. Besides this, they might go around from house to house learning to be lazy. They're not only lazy, they can become gossips, busybodies, talking about things they should not. He's simply saying, if if the church helps them to the point where they don't have really any purpose in their life, bad things can happen. That's why the old saying, even though it's not in the Bible, you know, idle time can be the devil's playground. That's really what Paul's saying here. If, if you don't have something to focus on and concentrate on and some purpose to live for, you can get messed up in all kinds of things that you shouldn't get messed up in. So that's why in verse 14 he says, So I want younger women to marry, raise children, manage a household in order to give, not give the adversary no opportunity to vilify us. Don't open up the door to Satan and hand him ammunition to throw at the church because you didn't have enough to keep yourself occupied with and you got yourself in trouble just floating around with no real purpose. Then he says in verse 16, if a believing woman, and I think it could be man or woman, but I I think Paul's making an emphasis. He's saying even if it's just a believing woman, which normally we would say, wow, okay, because obviously throughout history and even in the Bible, there were many women who had great means. They, you know, whether it was Lydia, you know, who certainly was a great businesswoman. I think the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 was also a great businesswoman who not only managed her household, but was able to, you know, make in a sense, a living on the side and whatever and have have means to, to help there as well. So I think he's saying even women, if they are believers, if they have widows in their family, let them even help them. And here's what again he says. So that, so that the church would not be burdened or weighed down. And so that It could help. It could give assistance to those who are truly in need. That they have nobody, nobody in their life. If the church doesn't step up and help them, they have nobody. Then we as the church better step up and better help. You see, we are to help. 
but we're not charged by God to help everybody in every situation. Very clearly, this passage teaches that responsibility falls on family members first, not the local church. That's why I've tried to get former churches that I worked in to develop a policy whereby even when people came to the church for help, we would basically say, what about your family? Don't you have any family members? That can go really way out there too, but anyway. What I tried to show folks was, it's not our primary responsibility to help you out. It is primarily your family, if you have any family at all to help you. That's where it is. I want you to keep that word burdened or weighed down in mind because I certainly, and I'm going to close with this, I certainly got a reaction earlier when I said, have any of you ever lived with unreasonable expectations? So I want you to keep that in mind. You know how it wears on you, how it burdens you, how it weighs you down when you're living with unreasonable expectations of others. Whether it be family members, friends, uh, your, your yeah, parents, yeah, um, your, your boss, your boss, you know. I know Crystal and Nicole could tell stories about how unreasonable my expectations are of them, but you don't listen to them. I'm a nice guy, try to be. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 11. I want us to see this very familiar passage again. And I want you to look at it in this light. Because even Jesus is saying, if you sell out yourself and you become my follower, you be my disciple, I want you to know, my expectations of you will never wear on you. It will never weigh you down. It will never be unreasonable. So if you and I are living our lives and we're saying, I'm living my life and I'm serving God and I'm ministering for Him and I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, and you feel very worn down, weighed down and burdened, then those responsibilities that you have taken on, something's wrong there somewhere. Because listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, overloaded and weighed down, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And here's the main thing I wanted to leave you with tonight. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Literally, Jesus is saying, I have a uniquely well-fitted responsibility for your life and it can be reasonably managed. It will not be something that I lay on you to cause you to feel like you've got to go through life like with this big old weight on your back that just is wearing you out and wearing you down. That is not coming from the Lord. And too many Christians today, and part of it comes from this pressure to feel like I've got to be all things to all people. I can't say no to anybody. I've got to try to please everybody and all of this that we as Christians violate all these principles and don't put up boundaries around our life. Don't keep first things first and don't keep the priorities in our own life. And then we bring that kind of mentality into the local church and then we expect the local church to just... And Jesus says... My yoke is easy. 
My burden is light. If you accept what I have for your life, it should never get to a place where you feel worn out, worn down, weighed down, and burdened. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But that's not how Jesus wants to live our lives. And too often as local churches and as Christians, we overextend ourselves, whether it's out of guilt or being manipulated by others or whatever, because we feel like, well, but I'm a Christian. Doesn't that mean I'm just supposed to just like, you know, just be out there just crawling around, just accepting everything that everybody asked me to do? No. It's okay to say no and be spiritual. In fact, it is a sign of spiritual maturity to be able to look at somebody and say, no, I can't do that. Can't do that. I need to protect myself and keep myself strong. If I just start going out there saying yes to everything, I'm going to go in the tank real quickly. Let's pray. God, I pray tonight for these folks, that whether they hear this message here live or whether they hear this message on podcast at some point, truly hear my heart in this, but even more importantly, that they, they hear your heart in all of this. God, you, you are an amazing God. And, and you, even more than us, understand that we're limited. We're not infinite like you. We're finite. We're feeble. We're frail. We can only manage a few things well. We can only do at any one time a few things excellently. And yet somehow, God, I think we get to a place sometimes in our life where we think we can do more or should do more than what's reasonable. And we begin to suffer for it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We begin to go into the tank real quickly because we've stopped living life according to your biblical principles. And God, we can even obviously do that as a local church. So I pray tonight that, that this message would reinforce here at the Oasis a little bit of why we do the things that we do. Why we make the choices that we make. Why we choose not to do some of the things that we've been asked to do. For all these reasons and many more. God, instill these principles within us. Help us, God, to take upon your yoke. Help us, Lord, to realize that when we just do every day what you ask us to do, we will never feel like we are being worn out or weighed down. We thank you for that, God. Help us to learn what we are truly responsible for, and help us to distinguish the things that 
you are not holding us responsible for. And to let go of the things that we're not responsible for so that we can truly take on the things that we are responsible for. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you'll come back next week.